We'll start this evening with verse 29, and I'll just go ahead and read all the way to the end of the chapter. We'll just see how far we get. Hebrews 11, verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, tempted, Slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect." Now, I'll say something about uh, last week in these meetings that I was in, because in many ways I felt like I was sitting with folks whose, whose stories could have been told in Hebrews chapter 11. Some time ago, I told you they'd asked me to, to become the uh, director of international missions for World Ministry Fellowship, which we uh, went on and, and did, a volunteer position, but nevertheless it puts us in a position to hear and to see and to meet a lot of different people. So in that first meeting last week that I chaired, I was excited to hear the field reports and the stories of people serving in Russia and Europe and India and the Far East, different parts of Africa and in South America. Uh, one story uh, stands out to me in Russia, and I just love it. This gentleman was telling me and telling us, I should say, about going over there to start some churches across the Siberian plains. Now, this guy is probably in his 70s. and He's been going back and forth to Russia since the 60s. And he was explaining that you go into some of these small towns and, and, and these people in these Russian towns literally have never heard the gospel in their lives. Some of these towns have never heard the gospel. Even though you have Russian Orthodox churches, Greek Orthodox churches, other kinds of Eastern Orthodox churches. So he told us that he went and held a crusade in a place. He gave some money. They started a church, put up a building. He came back home. He said when he came back, the person that they left in charge, he said to him, he said, now you're probably not going to like the name of the church that we've given it. He said, because it just sounds like a Russian Orthodox name. And it was something like Holy Trinity and then three or four other names attached to it. But he said, we knew it was the will of God for us to, to, to name it that. Now, this church was an independent church because our churches, World Ministry Fellowship, are independent uh, churches because the ministers are. And he said, well, there was a Russian bishop 
that discovered that this church was in his district. And that Russian bishop showed up on a Sunday morning and inquired, how is it that you've come to start a church in our region and you didn't check with me first? And the guy had explained to him, this is not a Russian Orthodox church. We're an independent fellowship, but uh, we started this church and we believe in the Lord is helping us. And so that Russian bishop said, well, we'll see about that. So he sat there in the congregation through the service listening to what was going on and then afterwards that pastor gave an altar call for people to get saved and that Russian bishop got up and went down the aisle and gave his heart to the Lord. Now think about that. To have been in ministry for decades and never have known the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He told me that story and my heart just leaped for joy. I said, praise God. Isn't that wonderful that somewhere in this world, the gospel still penetrates the hearts of people, even over there in Putinville. That's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. The scripture says that the, the voice of the Lord shakes the cedar trees. That means they do not come too hard for the Lord. Amen. He can save anybody. OK, now to our text. Hebrews 11. We've been looking at what it means to trust God. And we run into the phrase over and over again by faith or through faith. So faith is the means. It refers to a confident trust and reliance upon God in various aspects of a person's life. We've examined in the last teaching, we looked at Moses. We talked a bit about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we looked at what Moses sacrificed in order to be in right relations with God. He chose to suffer with his own people rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, which is a, a difficult choice to make if you're a person who enjoys some of the finer things in life. He turned his back on his adoption by Pharaoh's daughter and chose to associate with people who essentially were persecuted and who were despised because they were treated as slaves. There was a Pharaoh that came along that had no respect for Joseph. Now God used Moses to deliver them out of Egypt, and you can see in verse 29 it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea. Now the Red Sea is a large body of water over there in the Middle East, and the faith that caused the waters to part for the children of Israel, that faith was not found in the Egyptians. And the Egyptians tried to do the same thing that the Israelites did. And the waters that became a means of salvation for the children of Israel became a means of destruction for the Egyptians. So you can have a believer and an unbeliever attempt to do the same thing, but you may not necessarily have the same outcome. The Israelites walked across on dry ground, as the scripture says, an east wind blew through there. And it dried the ground so that it wasn't even muddy. Their feet didn't even sink into the earth. They walked across on dry ground, but the Egyptians, not with faith, but with a rash presumption. They said, we can do anything they're doing. And they made the attempt to step out there into the Red Sea. And the scripture says they, they, they drowned. Now, now that's a deliverance unto life for the children of Israel and a deliverance unto death for the Egyptians. Verse 30 then gives us this illustration of the walls of Jericho, which certainly is a great miracle in the Bible. Who have, who, who, who's ever heard of walls coming down because somebody believed? They were blowing trumpets and the walls fell flat. You can blow trumpets for thousands of years and nothing can happen. But on this occasion, 
The Lord told Joshua, you gather the people and you walk around one time every day for six days. On the seventh day, you go around six times, but on the seventh time, you're going to blow the trumpets. Now, every day that you're marching, don't let the children of Israel utter one word. You tell them once they get into formation and they start marching around, I don't want to hear a peep or a mutter out of them. Keep their words in conversation to themselves until I tell them they can talk. And on that seventh day, that seventh time around, the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua said, shout for the Lord has given you the city and then the people started screaming and the walls came down. Now, now that's a miracle that took an entire week to come to pass. So some things don't happen overnight and some things don't happen instantly. But they take some time and they require our ability to get involved with that. But can you imagine being one of the people inside of Jericho and you're one of their generals or one of their leaders and the children of Israel they're marching around on the outside of the walls and you've got these men that are armed and you've got these priests carrying the ark and, and, and maybe these ladies and gentlemen that are coming behind them. And you're up on the wall and you're looking out and you see all these people walk. You say, what in the world is wrong with these crazy people? They're not even saying anything. And why is Amy making faces at us as she's marching out there? See? Nobody's saying anything. But then when that when the trumpets were blown. That's when the walls came down and fell down flat. Now, there are people who will tell you we have no archaeological record of this ever happening. So this could not have ever happened. Well, we also don't have the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we believe he was raised from the dead. See, These things we believe by faith. The God that caused the walls of Jericho to fall flat is also the God, according to the first few verses of this same chapter, gives us the ability to see that he created the worlds by the words that come out of his mouth. By faith. You have to believe by faith this evening that you really are a Christian, that you're saved. You have to believe that by faith your sins really are washed away in the blood. No matter what you did in the past, you've got to believe that you're now innocent. Because if you don't believe that, you'll be your life will be dominated by guilt, shame, condemnation. So you can allow the Lord to deliver you unto life by believing that you're forgiven, or the adversary will deliver you unto death by keeping you constantly in a state of condemnation. Verse 31 thinks of this. It speaks of this woman who was a, a harlot. Not a good profession to be in, but the one that we say is the oldest profession in the world. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. This certainly is associated with the desire for money. But this woman Rahab was a good negotiator. Because when the spies came into her land and she hid them, she told them we have heard about how God opened up the Red Sea for you. And what you folks did to those, those two kings, the Amorites and and we don't want that to happen to us. And when we heard that our hearts melted, we became afraid and I'm helping you. I just want you to overlook my iniquity and the badness of my sin. And please, when you guys come back and take over this place, because I know you're going to conquer it because your God is certainly stronger than ours. But when you return, would you please remember me and my family, my brothers, my sisters? Joshua 
And the man said to her, well, our life for your life. If you don't tell anybody about us being here, but when we come back, when we come back, you make sure that you hang this scarlet cord outside your window. Just the cord he let them down uh, from to escape from the land. So he said, this, this cord here that we're about to use to get down, uh, we, we want you to make sure it's out the window so that when all the soldiers come back to town and we're about to take over, we'll look up and we'll see that, that scarlet thread. And you make sure that everybody that's related to you is in that house because if they're in the house, they'll be protected, but everything on the outside is going to be cursed, going to be killed and destroyed. And if anybody of your family runs out of your house, they're going to lose their life. Well, she she was like me. She didn't even let them boys get out of the city and she hung the cord outside the window. <laughs> I did the same thing. No sense in even drawing it up. Just leave it right there so every everybody would know. It says it was left right there in the window. Well, I mean, that's that's the that's the gospel in a nutshell. To think that salvation could be extended to someone whose lifestyle was so bad that under the old covenant, she could have been stoned, involved with the kind of sin that did not please God. But yet salvation came to her house. She made intercession for her brethren, her sisters, for her family. And this is why the scripture says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household and you shall be saved. It starts with one. One person gives their heart to the Lord, and very often it has effects upon other people. Now, that doesn't excuse individual salvation. But it does mean if you have somebody in your family that knows God, the chances are a whole lot better that it's going to spread to other people than it would be if nobody knew God. So when folks come to your place, they should be able to tell from your residence that the scarlet thread of redemption hangs there. You don't have to hang a rope outside the window. But there should be evidence in your home that you love God. And that should be something to attest to the fact that Jesus Christ is your Savior because you'll never know who may come into your home and need salvation. You may very well lead them to the Lord in the living room, in the basement, or there in the, the kitchen. Verse 32 says, if, if I continue talking, how, how, can I, how can I finish this up? There's so much to say and there's not enough time. I could talk to you about Gideon. Amazing man. Took a few hundred people and went after thousands of folks and destroyed them. He says, I can speak to you of Barak. This man took an army of 10,000 people, destroyed his enemies, fighting alongside that prophetess by the name of Deborah. Don't tell me God won't use a woman. This author here is quoting now from the book of Judges. So this tells you, and I take the author to be Paul. This tells you that Paul believed the book of Judges to be scripture, inspired, and something we should believe in. He said, I can talk to you about Samson. I mean, Samson's problem was he, he sacrificed his calling for a woman. And then Jephthah, who sacrificed his daughter because of a vow he made to God. So the scripture says, don't make rash vows. Be very careful about the promises you make to people. Be very careful about the vows you make to God. We, we have a tendency to do things like this. God, if you do this for me, I promise you, I swear I'll do such and such. 
just hold back on that kind of language. You don't need to do that anyhow. You don't need to do that. You, you do not need to, to, to say like Jephthah did and swearing, saying, Lord, I promise you to give you the first thing that runs out of my house. And that ended up being his virgin daughter. But you don't need to say, Lord, I swear this. I'm going to do this. I swear on auntie's grave that I'll do it. Because it's not like auntie's going to come back from the grave and say, well, you lied. There's no way for, you, for, for, the, for the grave to have power to help you with your promise anyhow. But the author here quotes all of these different people to, to remind us over and over again about deliverance. In verse 30, Jericho was delivered unto death. But the Israelites found deliverance unto life. They conquered the city. In verse 31, everything outside of Rahab's house was delivered unto death, but Rahab and her family found a deliverance unto life. And all of these people in verse 32 also experienced the powerful hand of God as they saw the deliverance of the Lord when the Spirit of God came upon these different judges. The book of Judges, that's what it's about. And let's not forget David, the king, then Samuel, of course, and the prophets. So he said, if I start talking about all of these people, we'll never get to the end of it. It's true. It's true. If you were to begin your life story and tell people about all the things you believe God helped you with in your life thus far, you'd be talking a long time. And you'd have a lot of people to talk about. Because I'm sure there have been a lot of men and women that God has brought across your paths and into your life to bring you to where you are right now, to help form your thinking, help build your character. Uh, maybe some of them helped you get some of the jobs that you received because the favor you received, you received because God touched their heart to believe in you, to love you, to like you. So that opened up a door. When people say it's not about who you know, it depends on where you live. Very often has a lot to do with who you know. If you don't know God, you're going to be in trouble anyhow. But if you know God, God can fling open doors that no man is able to close. These individuals were so strong and mighty in their faith. Not men and women with halos, but men and women whose lives were racked with sin, just like us, with failures and flaws. Because Gideon had low self-esteem. He didn't believe God could use him. He said, I come from a very small tribe. Who am I that anybody would pay attention to me? Berg didn't have the courage to go out to battle alone. He said, I'll, I'll only go, Deborah, if you go with me. Okay. He was afraid to go on his own. Samson's weakness was his love for the lady's affection. Look what trouble it got him into. And of course, Jephthah was the son of a harlot. So he was not loved by his family. His family kicked him out. They say, you're the son of a strange woman. You think we want somebody like you at the family reunion? Get out of here. But he could fight. The talent that he had for battle is what brought him into good graces with his family. But he had a problem in that he made a rash vow and his daughter lost her life because of the promise he made. And of course, David, his issues are well known. Samuel, man of God, man of faith. But his sons were wicked. The prophet. But his sons were wicked. So on and on we can we can go on and talk about these things. But verse 33 says it's these kinds of people 
whose faith helped them to subdue kingdoms. That's what we're talking about. Kingdom subdued, conquered. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a domain or a realm that's under the power of a particular royal person. They came in and conquered the whole area. Scripture says they wrought righteousness. Even where there was iniquity and wrongdoing, they created righteousness. They built righteousness. That's what we ought to do. Jesus wrought righteousness when he died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He created an ability for you and for me to be made righteous in the, the presence of God. I can't be righteous on my own. You can't be righteous on your own. But in Christ, we are all righteous. What is righteousness? Right standing with God. And if someone's in right standing with God, then you can believe that person is going to be happy in their relationship with God because they're not fearful of God because they know God's pleased with them. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So this is what God wants for, for each one of us. It says these folks obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions. Promises extended were promises received by them. What God promised them, God gave them because they believed. Yeah. They may not have always believed it in the beginning. Sarah laughed, but she received a promise. And sometimes God says things to us that leave us astounded, but it doesn't change the fact that what he has said, he is going to deliver. It's like money in the bank. God doesn't lie you know, at all. But can you imagine being like Daniel and being in a lion's den and God having to stop the mouth of a lion simply because one man believed. You, you, you may have lions roaring in your life now. If you're a Christian, I know you do. The Bible says the adversary is like a roaring lion. So he's always looking for a Christian he can devour. But you may have lions roaring about in the individual circumstances of your life. Now, the only way I know <clears throat> to stop those miles is by faith. I trust in God. There's no other way. If, if, if I was a person who, uh, what do they call it? Deal with schizophrenia. You hear voices all the time telling you to hurt yourself and harm yourself and do things like that. If, if I heard voices, then, then I, I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that I build up my faith and my confidence in God because I don't want those voices talking to me all the time. I want God speaking to me. I want his word speaking to me. So what am I going to do? Likely, I'm probably going to read the Bible aloud. Yeah, read the Bible aloud. If I do that, then even in my hearing, I can hear God's word read. It'd be my voice, but it'd still be God's word. I'd probably play the word of God on tape. I'd probably find some strong praise and worship music and play that in the background. And we should do that anyhow. Yeah. But how are you going to stop the mouths of lions? What about people that lie on you? People on your job, your neighbors that, that seek to undermine the, the influence that you have and the position that you have. How do you stop their mouths? Just believe God. That may be a long process. That's how it was with Joseph. But Joseph, if he were here, he could tell you he, he's wrestled with them lions that tried to devour him. And some of them were his own blood kin. But he survived. Faith 
gives you the ability to look into the mouth of the lion and realize that even though he's roaring and making all kinds of noises, even if he's attacking you, God's still stronger than him and you're going to live. You will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a scripture. You will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. So it says they quench the violence of fire. Imagine that. Escape the edge of the sword. Now the edge, the edge in Greek is also the same word where we have mouths. The mouth of the sword, as if the sword is a devouring thing. You know, people go to battle, the sword devours lives. It takes lives. So these people escape the, 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 mouth, the mouth of the sword. But in the Old Testament, there were a lot of towns and villages that were set on fire. Yeah, physically set on fire. Wasn't it Samson that tied the foxtails together and let them run through the villages and destroy everybody's crops? Oh, they weren't too happy about that. I guarantee you. People weren't too pleased. But there was a man that started a fire. But yet here scripture speaks about those that quenched the violence of fire. I mean, something that's raging and God supernaturally got involved. Help these folks. Well, when it says out of weakness were made strong, that Greek word for weakness also is the word that is used for sickness. These folks that were dealing with weakness in their body or weakness in some part of their life were then made strong by faith. They trusted God. Hezekiah was lying on his deathbed. God extended his life. You know, you read these and you, you say, oh my, these are heroes of the faith. And they are, but they're just like you and they're just like me. Mm -hmm. if, if, if I were to come in here with a, a thick book and then I said to everybody in here, I want you to give me five stories from your life that, that, that you believe could not have happened had not the hand of God been involved. So it doesn't matter if I'm talking about God leading you to salvation, uh, bringing your spouse into your life, guiding you to a certain place, the job or whatever, whatever. I guarantee you, if, if, if I were to sit down and you were to dictate all of those things to me, and then I wrote them down, and, and then I compiled them, and then I flew or drove to another town and said to some friends, I want you to sit down and just read some of these stories. You'd be surprised how many people would be encouraged by your testimony. They say, this is miraculous. But then you take your own stories and you take them for granted because you don't always think you see the hand of God in it the way you can see the hand of God in here. But these people, when they were living these lifestyles and fighting battles on the field and trusting God for deliverance, they probably wondered too if the king was showing up for them in the manner that they wanted. It said they turned to flight. The armies of the aliens, they waxed valiant in fight. Courage and bravery sprung up in their heart and they put the enemy on the run. Now that's a good way to fight. Rather than you running, you put the enemies on the run. Now, verse 35 is interesting because now we start receiving some stories or accounts of 
People being raised from the dead who received their dead, raised to life again. Wow. Women received their dead to life again. Did that ever occur in the Old Testament? Remember Elijah and the widow of Zarephath? He came and stayed there and the woman had unending blessing throughout the famine because the jug of meal and the cruise of oil never failed as long as she did what the prophet of God wanted her to do. But when the son died and Elijah climbed up on top of that boy and cried out to God, the scripture said life came back into that boy. Remember the widow of Nain? The mama was walking with a casket and a crowd to the cemetery. And opposite of them was Jesus and his disciples coming from the other direction. And Jesus stopped and, and, and touched that coffin. And the boy came back from the dead. Women received their dead, raised to life again. I, I was sharing with the, the people uh, last week about one of the times I took some of the uh, youth down to Mexico. And I, I can't remember exactly where we were at, but I know we were in a church in a garbage, garbage area where they bring all the refuse from that area. I'm telling you, it was just, oh, it was terrible. Just piles and piles and mounds and mounds of garbage. And the stench was terrible. But, but I had them young people there. because we're, we're teaching them about how other people live around the world who may not be as fortunate as, as we are here in the States. So we get into this, this church building, and we're, we're standing up there, and I'm in the sanctuary, and I'm getting ready to preach. I say sanctuary. It was made out of brick or stone. There were no windows. There weren't even any window panes. There was just stone block, and we're just looking outside, and down there I see the wild pigs, and they're just roaming about through the garbage. At one point, I even, I, I even remember seeing some, some wild pigs eating on the carcass of a, of a dead donkey. That was pretty bad, you know. But there were hundreds of people that lived in that garbage dump. And so these folks had come to church. The pastor, because of course I'm curious about anybody coming out and meeting in a place like this, aside from the, the most basic thing I'm thinking of, health hazards and, and all of that, then I had to remind myself these folks don't know anything about health hazards. They don't care anything about health hazards. They're just trying to live. They're trying to survive. So the pastor told me an amazing story. He said, Brother Darrell, right here in this church right here, we had an amazing miracle that took place some time ago. I said, what happened? He said, we had a little lady who... Uh, uh, her, her, her little kid had died, and that little lady, rather than burying that kid, brought that kid to the church and said, you folks say you believe in miracles. You folks say you believe in miracles. He said, I took that kid in my arm, and the uh, folks in the church surrounded uh, that mama and that baby, said they prayed. Said that baby was raised to life. Well, my, my heart just broke because he, he told me that. I, I couldn't have said, I think I have faith like that too. I couldn't have said that at all. But verse 35 says, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. So in the first sentence, we have a, a happy ending. Then in the, the following sentence, we have an, an ending that's not so good. 
You mean to tell me, Pastor, that you can have faith and all these great things are taking place, but yet with, with the people subduing kingdoms and the mouths of lions being stopped, that you can still possess faith and still find yourself being tortured? Yep. Yeah. Subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs magazine. Yeah. Buy a book, Fox's Book of the Martyrs. Read some of the the, the, the literature that comes out of the underground church, and you'll find there are a whole lot of people that believe God just like you and me. Some of them believe God more than you and me, and yet their husbands and their wives still go to jail. Bullets still pass through the hearts of little kids. Don't tell me some of those folks in Syria that were Christian didn't love God as they were being crucified. Some of them being set on fire, tortured. Faith doesn't mean God's going to put a shield around you and, and bad things aren't going to happen to you. There, there'll be times where, as Peter says, don't be surprised that your faith is undergoing this, this fiery trial, that the Lord himself will actually lead you into a place of temptation. That's what he did with his son when he took him into the wilderness for 40 days. So I look at our own nation. I look at us as Christians. I've seen the direction that our nation has been going. J just maybe God is giving giving us a, a slight reprieve where, where possibly uh, the, 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 the angst and the, the hostility toward Christians might somewhat be, be halted for a moment, but what in the world are we going to do if one day just for us to gather in a place like this and talk about God becomes against the law simply because we don't believe what other people believe. Mm -hmm. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance, I'd rather die than renounce my faith. That's what they said. Yeah. Take my life. Crucify me. Burn me. Behead me. That's what they're saying. Not accepting deliverance. The opportunity was there. First centuries of the early church, part of what they had to do in the Roman culture was you had to burn incense to Caesar. And they had these places set up in different villages. Christians had to go and take the incense out of the little bowl, toss it on the coals of fire, and let it go up. There were many Christians that said, absolutely not. I never will, will show any kind of deference or reverence for another God. We have one king. His name is Jesus. Oh, my, I've read the stories from the first couple of centuries of the early church, how little, how mamas had their babies ripped out of their hands. And those Roman soldiers and people would take the little baby, hold them by the feet and just bash their bodies against the rocks and burst their heads. Stories of Christians that were tied up in sacks with snakes, poisonous snakes, and then dropped into the river. Men and women who rather than renounce their faith would take a 30 inch step off a cliff rather than renounce what they believe. Folks, the scripture is right when it says the world's not worthy of people like this. Mm -hmm. It's true. They didn't accept deliverance because they thought they would obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. Now all of us are going to be raised from the dead. Rapture, the first resurrection. Book of Revelation speaks of the second death. But you mean to tell me if I choose to be tortured and not accept deliverance and renounce my faith, that in that day when the resurrection occurs, I'll receive a better resurrection? The last sentence of verse 35 says it. A better 
resurrection. I didn't write this. Other people had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. What, what is the greatest betrayal and mock trial in the history of the world? The trial of Jesus. He's an innocent man that died for no reason at all. And Jesus said, don't be surprised that they treat me like this. They're going to treat you the exact same way. How did Stephen die? He was mocked. They laughed at him and they stoned him to death. Scourgings. People being beat with whips. I'm telling you right now, when we get to heaven, we're going to hear stories that are not recorded in the book. And we're going to hear stories that took place in this world that we haven't known anything about. And we'll probably be praising the Lord that we didn't know about it when it occurred because it probably would have brought our hearts to a place of grief and shame, knowing that there could be such wickedness in this world. Yeah. You think of people like Idi Amin, Hitler, Stalin, some of the things that they did. I mean, at some point they were somebody's baby. Some mama was happy that they came into this world, but they grew up and became people that were very, very bad. And I can tell you right now, for a man like Hitler, Hitler to live was for the devil to live. Yeah, the devil found somebody in that man. And Stalin murdered more people than he did. Some of them because of their Christian faith. The stories that continue to come out of the, the uh, annals of history in Germany, not just of your Dietrich Bonhoeffers, but, but other Christians that stood up for their faith and yet died at the firing squad, were hung because they loved God. These folks never had a true trial. Some of them certainly were beaten before they died. But then the last sentence of verse 36 says, some of them in bonds and imprisonment. Paul was guilty of putting people in jail. He was on his way to put people in prison when he was arrested by the presence of God on that road to Damascus. Look how many people are in jail today. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard over and over again there are more Christians in jail in China than there are people in America. I don't know if it's true. That's what I've heard. But I do know one thing. They passed a law in China just this past fall that said that underground churches were unlawful, that you are not allowed to have any kind of assembly of more than seven or eight people, and they're not allowed to serve or worship any deity. Think about that. In a nation with more than a billion people, they'll put you in jail if you love God. Scripture here says bonds and imprisonment. Mr. Bunyan could have got out of prison a long time ago if he would, during that time he was, uh, during the English Reformation, he could have got out of jail if he simply would have just announced that that backslidden priest was holy and acceptable to God. Mr. Bunyan wouldn't do it. He said, don't you want out of that jail? He said, why should I want out of this jail? He said, any place where God is and I am is a kingdom now for me, even if it's a jail cell. Yeah. Faith. Faith didn't deliver him from the jail, but faith is what kept him while he was in bonds and in prison. That's what faith is. It says these folks were stoned, sawn asunder. According to church history, Isaiah was sawn asunder. The prophet Isaiah. We know that folks were stoned. We have the story of Stephen. We don't know how many, how many other occasions this may have occurred. 
But stoning still take place around the world today, not only against Christians, but sometimes in other people's religions. In the Islamic faith, it still takes place, sometimes against their own. We've all seen, I would assume, the Passion of the Christ. I'll give you another movie that is about another religion. And, and you know, I don't, I don't usually do commercials for any movies anyhow, but I'll tell you this. If you ever can get your hands on that movie called The Stoning of Sariah, about a little girl who was raised in the mountains of Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, became a young lady, got married, just because her husband wanted to marry somebody else, he lied on his wife and said she committed adultery. And then it documents in that movie with different characters acting and out, good popular characters acting out the story of how they brought this woman to the center of town and stoned her to death. I mean, the scene of her losing her life is every bit as gripping as Christ when he was being scourged in the Passion. Folks, I'm telling you, we live in a world where people's hearts are so cold and so wicked They'll do the most devious things, and Jesus says they'll do them and believe they're helping God. That's what's amazing. They believe they're helping God. Tempted, slain with the sword. We read earlier in verse 34 about those who escaped the mouth of the sword, escaped the, the edge of the sword, but yet now we hear about these folks that had faith, and yet they still died by the sword. Sometimes this thing works out well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes a mighty, miraculous deliverance takes place and we shout over the testimony of how great God is. But sometimes the testimony is a little bit different, but we still ought to shout because the believer went to heaven. Yeah, spent time in the, in, in the presence of the Lord, though, eternally in the presence of God. Wandering about in sheepskins, goatskin. Why would people be out here wandering in animal skins? Well, it might have been part of their custom, their culture. Might have been because they were hiding and on the run. Wife and I went into the underground cave cities in Cappadocia in Turkey one time. Folks, thousands of people lived in those underground cities. All of the hallways in that little thing were built for people had to be four feet, six inches. Because somebody like me, I mean, had back problems just walking walking through there. But what, what amazed me, though, is you, you'll be standing and looking at a big, huge mountain, and you have no idea that inside that mountain there'd be thousands of people until you walk to one of those places where the guides take you. They roll back a rock. You step inside, and you just start walking for miles down into the earth, down into the earth. And they'll have a little area, once you get into a room, a room that the ceiling might be about eight feet tall, and it would accommodate maybe about, oh, we'd say 10 to 15 different people. And then you walk through another hallway, go to another area, there'd be another group of people. Those early laborers were wise enough to build air shafts down into them so that once the Christians got inside and closed that door with that rock from the inside, if you were on the outside, there was no way on this earth you could even get to them. If you tried, it would take you months to chisel through all of that rock. And nobody could find the air shafts. But thousands of Christians lived in these underground cities. Destitute, afflicted, tormented, having very little. Oh, my. Scripture says the world's not worthy of people like that. I believe it. I believe it. 
Some of the stories I heard in the missions meeting the other day, I just shook my head. I said, oh, my God, how can we live in a world where there's this kind of wickedness? But, Father, how could you allow me to sit in a room with people that love you so much that they'd sacrifice so much to help all of these people? Yeah, I've given so little for the cause of Christ when so many have given so much for these things. They wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, caves of the earth. I just told you about that. But all of these folks, having obtained a good report through faith, didn't receive the promise. He's talking about all these people that lived under that old covenant. So many of them that had died. They heard about salvation, heard about a Messiah that was going to come. Somebody was going to rescue them and redeem them. They heard about all of that. They didn't receive that. Some of them didn't receive the promise of deliverance in this life. They got it in the next life when they drew their last breath and went to heaven. But God hadn't provided something better for us. They, apart from us, could not be made perfect. It's because of what we do, what we endure, that makes Isaiah and Daniel and Moses' story so much better. All of us in here could include our stories somehow in Hebrews chapter 11, even if you don't think you're worthy of having your testimony in there. I know everybody in here fairly well. I know some of your stories. I know some of your hardships, some of the things you've had to endure. Quite familiar with some of the pains you've gone through, even shed a few tears with some of you. I do know this, that when it comes to people who believe and trust God, they don't measure a man or woman's faith by how many times they're delivered or how many times they're tortured. We simply measure a man or woman's faith by how they live their life for God in good times and in bad, in peaceful times and in war. This may be a pretty good season of your life right now, but you keep walking with God, don't you worry, your spiritual warfare is coming. You may feel like you're fighting the devil on every side. You've got lions in every corner. It just seems like they're jumping out, screaming at you and they're growling at you, but just, just keep marching with God. I can promise you there's a season of peace that's coming. Just hold fast your faith and don't give up. The world's full of people that have renounced their faith in God. Don't let some backslidden person on television discourage you. Don't let some atheist who's putting billboards up across this nation confuse you and cause you to believe that what you're doing is of no value at all. Folks, I'm telling you, when we get to the other side, everybody's going to praise God. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be happy because we're happy now. Amen. We're happy now. Come on, let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so happy that we have an opportunity to study your word and to look into the finer details of Hebrews chapter 11. God, we do not believe that we even measure up to these people. But we do know that we're in your son. And since we're in Christ, we do know that you love us in the same manner that you love them. Father, we know that the scripture says greater love has nobody than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. God, help us to live for you every day, not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to support the kingdom of God all the time as you bless us. These things, Lord, we do pray for as you supply much grace for us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.